Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Uninformed Podcast, of course, the show that gives you the most information and entertainment in a one standard 28-minute time block. I'm your host this week, Ethan, and joining me, we have Zach. Yo, yo, what's up? How are you doing? What's up? What's up? We have Jonah. Hey, yo. And last and certainly least, Jared. Hey, buddy. Just kidding. Certainly not least. All right. So to all the listeners at home or in the car, you already know who we're going to be talking about this week since you clicked on this title. But to you fine lads here with me, we're going to be asking and hopefully answering if a certain famous ancient person is real. And the particular person, I'm going to save it for a little bit later, but uh, just keep that in your mind. But Mm. let me start off by asking you guys this. How do we know if anyone is real? Huh? Well, but before you uh, hold your horses, before you answer that, let me let me just give you a bit more context. Let's just define how real someone can be in three levels. All right. So we have one level, which is just real. So they exist without getting too deep or too meta. I think all four of us exist. I think that's safe to say. Um, On the opposite end, we have people that aren't real, but rather myths. Think of like Zeus in Greek mythology. Uh, So, you know, ancient people, they develop mythology, which would incorporate supernatural beings to explain natural phenomena. You know, um, so take, for instance, ancient Mesopotamian and Babylonian cultures. The god of the sky would rain his seed down into the goddess of the earth, thus impregnating her and growing crops onto her now fertilized womb. So that's a that's a bit graphic, I know, but yeah, basically, the opposite of real would be myth mythical, right? Um, now, somewhere in the middle there, we have legendary. So those are like potentially people that were real whose stories have been exaggerated to the point of legendary status. Think of like uh, Paul Bunyan, that American lumberjack guy that was so strong that he could clear forest all by himself, or Achilles, you know, the Greek warrior that was so strong he was undefeatable except for his literal Achilles heel. Now, the thing that makes those people a legend is that, you know, real lumberjacks or warriors who are so much stronger and faster than the rest of everyone else, they could have existed, but, you know, their abilities were exaggerated and put into a story that convey a message, you know. So um, let's get back to real people now. So let's say, let's, let's make a situation. Let's say Zach said he got a girlfriend, right? But he says, you wouldn't know her. She doesn't go to this school. Okay, let me let me ask a question. How do we know this person's real? How do we know she's real? I'm gonna open the floor up. Zach, go ahead. Oh, oh, this is my turn now. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, How would would you prove girlfriend? Oh well, I would have evidence. I would have proof. I would have pictures. I would have the actual person presented to you. So you're saying we would just meet her in person, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably the best option. So to verify someone's real, uh, if they're alive, the best case is probably just to to meet them, right? But let's go a little bit harder now. Let me ask you this question. So there's a dude that lived in England called King Richard III of England, who, according to history, died in 1485. So safe to say none of us have ever met this dude. Uh, Died like, what, 600 years ago, over 600 years ago. But how do we know that this person is real? Anybody have any ideas? Books, history, pictures, recorded stories from other people. Yeah, yeah. So all those are true, but even more than that, archaeologists dating the bones. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Bones and like artifacts from that. Exactly. 
you guys got it. So the first level, if someone's dead already, the the best thing we can do to make sure that they exist in the real is just to find their physical remains. So, you know, the archaeologists have found his actual physical remains, uh, his literal corpse. And through analysis, like, you know, radiocarbon dating and DNA tests, they concluded beyond any reasonable doubt that they belong, the bones belong to King Richard III. So that makes sense. But what if we don't have physical remains. So let, let's talk about someone else. Let's go a little bit harder now, a little bit older. Alexander the Great. So I'm sure all of you guys have heard of Alexander the Great. He was like in 300 BC, had a massive empire. But his physical remains, aka his corpse and bones, they were lost to history because, you know, that was, what, 2,300 years ago. So how do we know that he existed? Well, the next best thing, if we don't have their physical remains, is just solid archaeological evidence. So... There's a crap ton of sculptures of his face, coins with his face, inscriptions and temples that date to when he visited them, foreign sources that all document his battles, all these different texts. You know, So archaeologists conclude with beyond any reasonable doubt that Alexander the Great was a real person. That's good. I again. see where you're going with this. All right. Mm. So the first level, we got corpse. If we don't have that, we have a bunch of evidence. OK, now let's go down to the third level. What about cases where we're trying to figure out if an ancient person was real or not, but we don't have any physical remains and we don't have any archaeological evidence? Well, we have to rely on entirely textual sources, you know, lengthy works of literature, any documents, any old uh, you know, historical documents, essentially, people wrote back then. So Their Twitter feeds? Exactly. We had to look at their Twitter feeds, their comments on their Instagram sections, their TikToks. Mm. Right. Okay. But this brings up an issue, which I don't know if you guys know about, because <clears throat> using only textual sources gets a little bit shaky with ancient people. There's one main reason for that. So before I say that reason, let me just ask you this. So, you know, modern history, how would you say it's written for any, any modern history? For, for instance, you know, the tax on 9-11, is it written as like a, a tale uh, with thematic elements or is it more of like a chronicling of events chronological order of events yeah that's exactly right so as we know it today modern history it's just written as non-fiction linear account of what happened that that's nowadays but that's not how ancient people wrote history and so a lot of people don't know that but history uh you know was passed throughout time orally obviously because before writing was invented um just from people talking uh, but because of this, when ancient people started to write down their history, it was written in a story-like, thematical way, you know, where the main moral of the story was more important than the nitty-gritty details. You know, they wanted to get a point across and tell the gist of the story and, the, you know, uh, the details of it, even when they were written down, pretty much lost. Uh, so that obviously is going to become a problem when we're trying to determine if an ancient person is real and we don't have any physical remains or archaeological evidence. And all we have is just literature. So on top of that, the same event, let's just say some ancient battle between two, whatever, two countries thousands of years ago, it may have been recorded by different people differently, you know, because there's biases. So one side may downplay their loss. One side may, you know, exaggerate their win. And there might be a bunch of different sources that all say different things. Well, what do we do then? Anybody have any idea what happens in that case? Uh, I don't know. You cross-reference uh, both sides and kind of see, try to read the truth in between the two. 
Yeah, that's pretty good. So basically, yeah, most people would assume that we can never really know just to pick one of the sources, but that would be wrong. But like you said, there's a method for it. It's called the historical method. And essentially, it's just a process for weeding out the truth when there's a bunch of different things and they all say different uh, different things. So, okay, the historical method. I got to get through this and then we can finally answer the question that everyone at home has been waiting on why they clicked on this podcast. But first off, the historical method, right? So it's just a process. They ask a bunch of questions and let's go through them real quick. So there's a bunch, but I'll just give a couple of them. Uh, the first of which, does the source match the archaeological record? So let's say there's a text of some battle, right? <clears throat> if a text says that some ancient king, right, had an army of, let's say, a million men, but then archaeologists ar archaeologists dig up his cities and discover there's no way that the small village they actually found could have supported a million soldiers, then you have to, you know, realize that that text is probably a bit exaggerated or biased. Um which leads to the second question, which is there any chance that the source is biased? And that's, you know, going to be probably likely with a lot of ancient texts. So take again, uh, for instance, a battle between two rival cultures. It'd probably be a good idea to read the text from um, some third party, some neutral culture that was not involved, but just happened to live nearby when the two rivals battled, right? Because if you read the, the sources from either of those two rivals, it might be biased or exaggerated in one way or the other. So it's good to have some neutral, uh, neutral ground. Another question, how much time passed since the event happened versus when the event was written about? So there's a lot of ancient texts that were written close to the event that they're describing. And there's also a lot that happened many, many years after the event that they described happened. So obviously it, if they're written much closer to the event, you know, we can, uh, take that a bit more uh, truthfully and the last question i'll talk about is what genre of writing was used so again like i said many times ancient people would write history in a more thematic way using literary tropes so metaphors symbolism all that stuff we learned in english class that's been around for you know forever basically and ancient people use it a lot to just convey a message so finally we know about the historical method and we finally want to get to the question of the podcast. So that brings us to the main question. We're going to try to answer, which is, did Moses exist? Right? Now, before, before you guys say anything, I need to caveat this. I need to preface this for everyone at home by saying we are not in any way a religious podcast. And we are not here to promote any particular religion. We are not going to have any discussions that term religious. So everyone listening at home doesn't have to worry. This is purely historical and educational. However... That being said, Moses is a central character in at least three of the biggest religions in the world, including Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, which make up over half of the world population, like 4.2 billion people. So if you are a practicing Muslim, Jew, or even Christian, you probably already know about this person and have your own beliefs. But again, this is not going to be religious in any way, just the culmination and summarization of the viewpoints of theological historians and religious scholars all over the world. Okay. Now that I have that caveat out of the way, we can continue. So yeah, Moses, like I said. So do you guys, you guys know Moses, right? You've, you've heard of Moses before? Yep. Yeah, I've heard of him. All right. Anybody can give me a quick 15-second summary of uh, the story of Moses. Moses parted the Red Sea for people to get through uh, so that they wouldn't drown in a big flood. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not bad. That definitely has an element. So let me just get everyone on the same page here. So according to the Torah or the Pentateuch, if you're a Christian, which is just the five first books of the Old Testament, um, Moses was born in Egypt in slavery and he was put in a basket and into the Nile River. Right. And he was found by the Pharaoh's daughter and then he was raised in royalty. So he grew up in the in the palace and through royalty, but he killed somebody when he became an adult and he had to escape to the land of Midian, which is just uh, modern day Saudi Arabia. Uh, and while he was there, God spoke to him in the form of a burning bush and told him to go back to Egypt and take his enslaved people back to Canaan, which is the promised land, which is modern day Israel. So Moses did that after God sent 10 plagues onto Egypt. And then from there, we get, like you said, the Red Sea story, the parting of the Red Seas and the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai and the Israelites wandering the desert for 40 years. So, yeah, just a refresher there. Um, you don't need to know any more details than that for this podcast, but it's just a pretty big figure. So, yeah, now that we know the basics of the story of Moses, let's do that historical method. Let's, let's apply to this story here. So side note again. This in of itself could be considered controversial. So I just want to reiterate this podcast is not to push any religious beliefs on our listeners. It's just a summarization of what the majority of religious scholars and theological historians around the world agree upon in terms of Moses uh, from a historical standpoint. So, all right, now let's get into it. The first question that I talked about, does the source match the archeological material? So, the source is going to be any text regarding Moses. Um, and does anyone have a guess of what the oldest text is, the oldest source, textual source, uh, that regards Moses? The Bible? The Bible? Yeah, is the Bible. That's an easy one. Um, there, there, are, there are a lot of ancient people that were uh, talked about before the Bible that are also talked about in the Bible. But uh, this one, the oldest one, is the Bible. So <clears throat> in the Bible... Uh, specifically the Pentateuch, which is just the first five books of the Old Testament, which is essentially the same as the Torah, which is the Jewish Bible. But um, yeah, the number of male slaves that left Egypt with Moses was 600,000. They actually gave like a really oh, wow. specific. Yeah, they gave like a specific number in the Bible. It was like 603,550 or something like that. But anyways, mm. that's just uh, men above the above a certain age. So if you account for the women and then also the children who everyone below that age, that number you could safely say it goes around 2 million, right? So yeah, so basically the Exodus, which is the mass migration of all his people from uh, Egypt to uh, the promised land was about 2 million. And so let's answer that question now. So the Egyptians were keeping really good records at this time. And there is no documentation that would suggest a sudden population drop of 2 million from Egypt, nor a sudden increase of 2 million entering Canaan. So that's the first question. But let's answer the second question right, right after that. Is the source biased? So let's say Egypt tried to cover up an embarrassing defeat and the loss of 2 million slaves. You know, that could have happened. Um, but still, there, there would be physical evidence of 2 million people living in the Sinai Pens Peninsula for 40 years. And there is none. Um, however... This doesn't prove that there wasn't someone named Moses that left Egypt. It just suggests that he didn't do it with 2 million people. It might have been on a smaller scale. Uh, uh, that's what Hebrew scholar Richard Friedman suggests in one of his books titled mm -hmm. The Exodus, which is, of course, about the Exodus. Um, okay, so those are two questions answered. Let's, let's keep going here. 
the third question I mentioned in the historical method is how much time has passed? So we want to know basically from when the first documentation of Moses' story was versus when he supposedly lived. Um, so for context here, in Islam, they have another very important prophet named Muhammad. And the first non-religious writing of him, of, of Muhammad, happened six years after he died. So, you know, the dude died and he wasn't mentioned again for six years in, in, in text. You might think that's a long time. That's relatively short in history. Um, so another example in Christianity, probably everyone knows Jesus. Um, and the first mention of his name in a non-Christian source after he, he died uh, was 63 years. So that's still not a super long time. You know, that, that'd be like someone mentioning Buddy Holly, uh, someone not mentioning Buddy Holly since he died in 1959 until now. So that, that's really not that big of a, of a gap. You know, we could probably find someone that either knew Buddy Holly directly or had some sort of mutual connection. But anyways, yeah, so 63 years is, is not a super long time. So that's still okay. Now, go back to Moses here. With Moses, it's a different story. The first mention of his name and his story after he died is approximately a thousand years. So that's obviously way longer than those other two prophets. Um, so that, uh, yeah, that, that, that takes away some stake in his story. What's the time frame Moses was around? Yeah, apologies. I should have mentioned that. So according to the Bible, Moses lived anywhere between 1500 to 1200 B.C., and so there's a little bit of conjecture regarding, you know, when the exact dates were. But the first mention of him in a non-Jewish uh, setting or non-religious setting would have been a thousand years after that. And then the even the first writings of the Torah, which, of course, is the, you know, the, the Bible, that, that happened 750 years after he supposedly passed away. So um, oh. that would have been around, uh, I want to say, like. 750 BC to 500 BC or around there. That's at least when the Torah was starting to be written. And, and that would have been the first mention of his name. At, at the time frame of uh, that era, what was the style of note taking? Was it on like clay tablets or was it on like papyrus or paper or stuff? Do you yeah, it was, it, it was on both. They were doing clay oh, yeah. tablets and they also did, uh, yeah, papyrus. What is that word? Parch, parchment. Papyrus. It was parchment. It was parch, yeah, it was parchment. Okay, and we have the we we do have those actually. Archaeologists have found those, but okay. okay cool. So let's answer this last question before we get into the other stuff. So the the last question, which if you remember from the historical method, is what's the genre of writing? So like I said, remember that <clears throat> ancient people often use literary elements to recount history as opposed to detailed events, right? So the story of Moses also follows suit. If you look at the Moses story, you can see that there's a bunch of common literary tropes that ancient people would use. Um, so the fact that he was born into slavery and grew up in royalty, you and I would probably recognize that trope as a rags to riches story. Um, so yeah, like a rags, yeah no exactly. A, a rags to riches yeah. story. That, that's a, a literary trope that's existed a long time. Even the baby in a basket. Yeah. So that's less common now, but that was a very common element in a lot of hero stories from ancient people. The closest thing nowadays would be, you know, how we tell little kids that like babies come from baskets, from storks flying in the sky, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a similar thing to that. So then there's the trope that the hero gets banished, but must perform an epic quest to redeem himself. So mm -hmm. that's another that's another one. Um, that's in a lot of ancient stories, including the Moses story. 
even the parting of the Red Seas, uh, that's a common, that's actually a very common trope in ancient stories because crossing a large body of water was symbolism for new beginnings. So another hmm. cool, another cool literary element there. Um, so what do all these questions mean? Well, the fact that the archaeological evidence of a mass exodus is not strong, as well as all the sources we have mentioned him are either biased for Jews or also against Jews, since there was a lot of anti-Jewishness back then, especially in Egypt, actually, um, uh, as well as the earliest mention of him happening a thousand years after he died. And then uh, all those literary tropes in his story, we can surmise that Moses was more of a legendary character as opposed to a historical character. So if you remember those three levels before. And yeah. again, yeah, again, that doesn't mean that a man named Moses, who was a renegade leader and introduced some bold ideas, didn't exist. That doesn't mean that at all. It just means that the uh, parts of his story that may have been exaggerated to uh, provide some sort of uh, story. Um, but so in fact, what, oh, I was just going to say, so what you're saying is like, it's possible he could have been like a guerrilla fighter back then and uh, led a like a like a very tiny exodus in a way of like a few hundred people or like 50 people instead of the way like they exaggerated and concocted the story they made it seem like it was like a few million possibly yes that's that's right i'm just gonna actually you're, you're leading exactly into the next section so there's actually some really cool theories that point to exactly exactly that the fact that moses was some sort of renegade leader who introduced some bold ideas so let's get into that tish i know you love your theories so i'm going to give you three theories here there's a Mm. bunch of theories but three of them all right so the first theory i call it the midian people theory i've mentioned this land of media that moses escaped to which is you know modern day saudi arabia well from the archaeological record we know that there was a group of people there called the shasu people and they worshipped a god similar in name to the god Moses worshipped, which is uh, Yahweh and Hebrew and Yahul and, and whatever language those Shasu people spoke. So they were monotheists. They worshipped a god similar in name. And they're from a similar time period. So the theory is, is it possible that Moses was actually one of these uh, Midianites or these Shasu people that left Midia to go to Egypt? Then he gained followers there that he took to Canaan. That's one theory. Um, another theory, I like this one. This is, this is a fun one for me. So it's, I'll call it the Osarsef theory. But so around 300 BC, right? So remember, Moses was around the 1500 BC area. That, uh, that story took place around 1500 BC. So 300 BC is well after that. But <clears throat> there was this Egyptian historian that documented an Egyptian priest that lived around 1400 BC. So right around that same time. And this priest's name was Osarsef. And then in this uh, tale this, that this Egyptian historian says, the pharaoh of Egypt at that time enslaved some lepers, you know, people that just suffered from leprosy, outcasts, basically. Um, but this priest, Osarsef, he united those lepers and he formed an army to overthrow the pharaoh. And then mm-hmm. they were able to rule Egypt for about 13 years until finally being defeated by the returning pharaoh. And then they were kicked out of Egypt and thrown over to Canaan which again is modern day Israel, at which point in this text uh, that this Egyptian historian says, Osarsif changed his name to another common Egyptian name, Moses. So that, uh, yeah, that holds a lot of parallels to the, the Moses story. 
the fact that uh, just from a different a different viewpoint, a different perspective from the viewpoint of Egyptians. Um, and then finally here, the, the last theory is similar to what you just said, Tish, but um, the, la- yeah. the last one here I want to mention is that uh, in the, in the Exodus, I'm sorry, that the Exodus did happen, but on a much smaller scale, like you were mentioning. So uh, I don't know how much of the whole like old Testament stuff you guys know, but there are 12 tribes in Israel after the Exodus but one tribe in particular has very Egyptian sounding names, the tribe of Levi. And so the, the theory is that p- perhaps the Exodus did happen, but that only out of those 12 tribes, only Levite is the one that came from Egypt. So another interesting theory there. Yeah. But yeah. So let me, let me just wrap this up for you guys. And then we can talk if you want. But so the question that we all came here with, or at least the one that I came here with and everyone listening maybe clicked on for is did Moses exist? And the answer is, does it matter? Because regardless of religion, the story of Moses, it's an amazingly crafted work of literature that took common themes and symbolism from the time to tell a story that explained Israel's origins while simultaneously defending their deepest held beliefs. So think about it like this. Many, many Americans' ancestors weren't at the Revolutionary War or at Plymouth Rock with the Pilgrims. But yet we all still celebrate Thanksgiving and the 4th of July because they're an important part of our national identity. So it doesn't really matter that they weren't there. But yeah, so let me finish it up here. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that, that's uh, some interesting theories on Moses and his story and what may have actually taken place. But uh, what do you guys think? You guys uh, have you guys uh, heard of some of those theories before? I have heard the theory that, uh, you know, at, at the very least, the uh, all of the feats that happened within the story of Moses, how true are they, how realistic, and not to get more into it, but there's, uh, you know, they, they were plagued with uh, frogs that rained from the sky. Uh, there's a lot of other things, and people have questioned the legitimacy and, and the probability that things like that could happen. I do know that's probably one of the more commonly questioned uh, books within the Bible. Uh, again, not to get too religious, but I, I have heard that. And I thought you put everything into a very good perspective. And, and I liked how you started it out with, uh, you know, the three different kinds of, of figuring out whether people are real or not and moving on into it. Yeah. So I, I want to do give my viewpoint. And so I personally, I think that he was legendary, meaning I don't think um, that everything was literal. I'm not a literalist. Some people are you know, biblical literalists where everything exactly happened as it said. But just from, you know, uh, as most historians, religious historians and theological scholars agree that ancient people wrote um, more thematically just to get a point across. And so it wasn't really meant to be taken too literally. Some of the stories but uh, the point remains that, you know, the moral of the story is still there and the message is still there. And I think that's amazing. But, uh, yeah, the fact that he's a legend and that his story remained throughout time, I think that's awesome. I agree with you. I, I would definitely put him in the legendary category. Uh, I think he existed. However, some of the tales and stories uh, may have been exaggerated, like you said, to kind of get a point or a moral across. Uh, so I, I agree with everything you just said. Yeah, I agree too. I think it's 
it's it's possible that he could have been a either a guerrilla fighter during that time or even a political figure and had a lot of influence during that time. So that could be part of the reason why his story survived as as has survived as long as it did because he's had a lot of influence and the story uh maybe maybe it twisted it changed throughout generations who knows uh i was i obviously wasn't living back then so i i could definitely be wrong um but uh i to me i try to think of things from like uh, I guess materialist. I like evidence, and I think of things from a materialistic, realistic perspective. Um, I also uh, was thinking of the ten plagues too. I mean, those could have been like you know sickness. They could have been droughts. They could have been like a, a litany of ever, any other things. But who knows? Like I, I don't know for sure. Um, Zach, but, you should check out Peter in the Bible. You would like him. I've heard of Peter. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Why, why, wait, why, why are you dating? Why are you, why are you throwing out Peter though? Uh, it's a reference. You got to get it. Uh, oh, jeez. Yeah. Next, next year to call me a Downing Thomas. <laughs> no, uh, P- Peter said the same thing. You know, basically, you need to see it to believe it. Uh, yeah. And then whenever Jesus was speared in the side when he's hung on the cross, uh, he was then brought to the prison and, and Jesus told him to oh. feel the wound with his hand. So that way, um, you know. Yeah. Not now you bring it up now I, I remember this but yeah yeah I, I think it's all interesting I, and I going back to um, what Jonah said I think it is very fascinating how Ethan how you start out with like it was pretty much how like an onion is like you, you picked apart the layers like you start small saying like oh uh, bones talk about bones and then you're like oh how do you find if you keep going back in time how do you find out this person was real? And how do you determine if it was a real person or it was a legendary person? And I, I liked how you uh, went through chronologically and picked it apart through the historical method because I love history as well. And I have practiced it in the majority of my life. And yeah, it's one of my passions. So, yeah. Yeah. Let me let me let me bring this up to you guys real quick. So the one of the theories I said was that uh, the Shasu, which so, yeah, think about this. Let's say let let's say this theory, which is is just that is just a theory. But let's just say it was true for just for a second. Let's just play with that. <laughs> Imagine that this random dude who lived in Saudi Arabia decided he was a monotheist, right? He believed in a single singular God whose name was very similar to what the Hebrews and and Israelites believed in. Um, he decides to go to Egypt and then declare his monotheism, gain followers with at the time in Egypt, it, they were actually like very anti-Jewish. But um, and this is like, you know, thousands of years ago, which is crazy. But he goes to Egypt, talks about this singular God, gains followers, then gets kicked out of Egypt and sent to uh, Canaan. And then so the, and then, you know, the rest of history and, and Judaism and uh, Islam and Christianity happens. Just imagine for a second that that came from just one singular dude who was just living in Saudi Arabia at the time. That's crazy. That's why yeah, it's bonkers. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, honestly, from what you just said, I feel like I have heard that theory. Like, every, almost every religion was, like, at its conception because of Moses, which I think is a really, yeah, that's very true. interesting theory. And I love theories, obviously. Like you said, I love conspiracy theories. So yeah. I know. That's why. I, which is kind of, like, hypocritical you, from what I said earlier. But, yeah, I, I still love theories. 
Well, I said it. Ethan, I thought it was interesting you mentioning Alexander the Great. I thought it was a, a good pickup because pretty much you mentioned Alexander the Great and everyone believes this guy exists and no one questions it. And then when you think of the Bible and historical figures, there's more controversialness to it. And, you know, for Jesus, there's more transcripts that Jesus, uh, forget the religion, but that he actually existed as a person. Um, you know, and then with Moses, I have no idea. Um, but, you know, I just thought it was, you know, interesting. Um, you yeah. Know. yeah, I could do it. I have a, so I did a lot of research. So I, I'm not, you know, I didn't know a lot about this stuff. This is a more engineering topics. This is somewhat new to me, but I did do more research and I could do another whole episode on like other biblical figures like Jesus, for instance, because I, I mentioned it here, but like the earliest, uh, what was it? Earliest text of him in a non-religious source only happened 63 years after his death, which is, you know, that's a relatively short time. So that he has a lot more stake than Moses. Moses is more of a, it, Moses is more of like, like I said in the conclusion, it's more of like a folktale that gives a reason behind the, the it gives an explanation for the, the start of the Israelites and, you know, their background so that everyone can have a unified, uh, and a unified background. So yeah. the common nationality. But Jesus, that's different because that was thousands of years later. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, guys. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was just going to say, I think it is possible since, like, you ever obviously I, as a kid, I feel like everyone has played the game telephone. So, like, imagine that on a really huge, broad, wider scale, over spanning over thousands of you know years and generations, and then <laughs> that continues right. even in writing too. Right? Writing can be changed. Writing can be altered to change a different to go to a different perspective. So I, I think it is possible for words to be twisted, themes or ideas to be modified, and who knows what is right, who knows what is wrong, because at least I have not lived during that period. So, yeah, it's almost, okay. I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, I have not either, Zach, and I don't plan on living there anytime soon. At least we get a time machine. We should have had a time true. machine. You are a engineer. That's true. I'll, I'll, I'll work figure out you. the answers to these questions. That's right. But... In the meantime, while I try to figure out how to invent a time machine, we hope that everyone else listening at home does their own research, of course, and has hopefully learned something new today. Um, and if you didn't, then maybe maybe pull over and do some more research on something else. But anyways, hope everyone enjoyed it. Thank you guys for joining me and listening, and hopefully you are all a bit more informed. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Give us a shout out. Give us a DM. Give us some ideas for next topics. Anyways, that's it. Peace out.